Romans 7 verse 14, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, that is in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And Father, we humbly bow to ask just for your special help to be able to understand the word of God. Lord, we know it's not just an intellectual exercise, but we pray that you would open our minds to comprehend these scriptures. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to receive every intent and instruction that these were written and recorded for, that every intent that was in the very heart of God, that we would hear that this morning. Please, Lord, speak it to us in a personal way. Give us understanding and clarity, and we pray that you would help us to be able to be, Lord, fruitful for you and to walk in victory as the result of greater understanding of the truths of your word. Speak to us, Lord. Give us an ear to hear and an ability even to stay attentive to whatever it is you want to say personally to us. Bless your word, and we ask for your spirit's anointing and that he would be our teacher this morning. Speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I found a quote that says this. It says, failure is just feedback. It shows you what is not working so that you can find out what will work. Read that again. Failure is just feedback. It shows you what's not working so that you can find out what will work. You know, I think these verses, the last half of Romans chapter 7, really are about that very reality spiritually. Uh, it's Paul the Apostle describing his own frustration with his flesh, his sinful nature that he had, just like you and I do, and the struggle and conflict within himself of wanting to walk in the Spirit, wanting to yield to that new nature that came as a result of being born again, but also realizing there was this constant presence and battle within with that old fallen sin nature that caused conflict within himself, and that though he was attempting and endeavoring through his own effort 
efforts and self-will to try and overcome sin in his own strength that he realized that was utterly frustrating and he kept failing again and again and again. But you see, as he comes to the end of the chapter, it was that very failure in his own endeavor to overcome sin that actually leads Paul to the place at the end of chapter 7 and then all through chapter 8 where he finds out what does work. Uh, and I think in some ways it's a great lesson for us because sometimes we have to go through the process of struggling with things, even in spiritual areas, to be able to discover, hey, this is not what God's intended, but this is the will of God and the way whereby he's provided the means, particularly for victory over sin. Now, again, remember our background in Romans 6, Paul spent a whole chapter telling us that as the result of the work of Jesus Christ, not only is the penalty of sin addressed, but the power of sin has been broken. And because Jesus overcomes sin and because our lives are one with him and we're joined with Christ when we enter into a relationship with him, we then share in all of his experiences and everything that he's made available. And therefore, Paul made that declaration, sin shall not have dominion over you. In other words, again, not saying that we're ever going to walk in perfection in these bodies of flesh, but what Paul is saying is in the way that sin mastered and dominated and controlled us before we were a Christian where we didn't have the freedom, we didn't have the liberty to say no to sin, we had no power to live differently. When the impulses or temptations of sin came into our life, we yielded to them and gave in to them because we knew nothing different and we had no power or ability to actually say no to temptation. But as the result of coming to Jesus, we now have a choice. We've been set free and there is victory available through our relationship with him. And the Bible's telling us that we don't have to live like a slave. We don't have to be dominated by sin, that we can walk in victory and that when temptation comes, there's now always a choice. Will we always make the right choice? Be honest, no, we don't. And neither do I. But the reality is the Bible says, look, there is freedom now. There's a choice there's the opportunity to walk in victory that was never there before because of what Jesus has provided through his life and through the power of his resurrected life enabling us. Well, Paul, as he comes to chapter 7, we saw last week, then starts to kind of talk through some of these things and how that worked itself out in his own life. And it's almost as if Paul was trying to indicate to his readers and to you and I, listen, here's what I can tell you. It doesn't come by putting yourself under regulations. It doesn't, okay, well, the Bible says that I can have victory over sin. So I guess what I should do then is maybe put myself under the restrictions of the law of God or if I establish these different kind of rules and requirements and maybe try and live according to that. And Paul said, you know, I found that when I tried to be righteous... By living according to the law, Paul said not only did it not work, he said it actually made things worse. Remember, he said, what I realized is that the law could reveal my sin to me. Like a mirror, it could show me I'm missing the standard, I'm falling short. But he said the law couldn't resolve my problem with sin. It couldn't fix my problem. It could indicate my problem. In fact, Paul said it actually not only revealed sin, it actually, he said, sort of provoked sin in my life all the more because as the standard was then set before me he said as i as i saw the standard like the wet paint sign he said it actually provoked the rebel within me because when the law said do this or don't do that he said i found my sinward nature within said why not 
Well, I don't want to follow that rule. And, and, and he said the law actually was provoking me to become more sinful because it was prompting me to want to rebel against the very law of God that was there. Now, as Paul was saying those things, of course, he then came to that thought, well, maybe there's something wrong with the law. People will think maybe the law is defective or something's wrong with the law. And Paul said, that's not the problem. And which is where he goes to this morning. Paul says, the problem's not with God's law. God's law is holy. It's just as good. It's from God. We can't blame things on the law of God just because it reveals that we're sinful. It's not the thing that's causing us to sin. It just draws out of us the reality that we're already rebels, that we're rebels at heart, that we're sinners and lawbreakers at heart. It just shows that to us. So Paul says, the problem's not with the law. The problem's with me, Paul says. It's with who I am. It's that I'm a lawbreaker and that I'm a rebel and I deal with that within myself. Look with me in verse 14. This is the concept that he's again continuing with now as he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So in essence, verse 14 is almost a summarization of what Paul has been saying and, and sort of a transition to now describe his own experiences with these things. Paul says again, the problem is not with the law. He says the law, it's spiritual. Verse 12, he said the law and God's commandments are holy and just and good. Again, the law is spiritual in two senses. First of all, as we said last week, even the law is spiritual because it comes from God. God who is spirit. And because of that, there's nothing wrong with the commands of God's law. Uh, again, our world is trying to indicate that reality. The problem is, is, you know, these old, you know, Victorian people, they want to hold the Bible principles and this and that. But, but listen, there's nothing wrong with the law of God. Would you, would you agree? The world would be a lot better place, would it not, if people didn't murder one another? Think the world would be a little better? The Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. You think the world would be a little better if people didn't cheat on their spouses and commit adultery? The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. That's God's law. You think the world would be a little better place if people didn't steal from one another in all the various ways that they do? You know, the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, as much as you love yourself and always look out for your own interests, if you took that same love and you redirected it towards other people and you always looked out for the interests of others and you always took into consideration not just what I want, but hey, wonder what they want and what would be best for them. Do you think the world would be a little better place if we lived that way? Again, our world's trying to sell to us there's problems with God's word and the, and the Bible says the law, is, the law is spiritual. It came from God. It's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. And it's also spiritual, secondarily, in that it deals with more than just outward observances. There's the spirit of the law. And this is the indication of what Jesus ultimately spoke about, that the law is, is intended to apply to the heart, inward attitudes, and even our thinking and our desires. Remember, Jesus said that the law is not just about outward observance and conforming to behaviors, because the truth be told, anybody can conform outwardly to right behavior in total hypocrisy. I do it all the time. You do it all the time. Don't lie. We do it all the time. I, I can use my public manners or my table manner. And people can do that with righteous standards and requirements. And Jesus said, look, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say unto you, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother... 
In a sense, you're guilty of the same thing. You've, you may not have slugged them or strangled them, but in your heart, you surely did. You know, how many people have we assassinated driving to and from work on the highways at times? Jesus said, you know, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, I never committed adultery. I've always been faithful to my wife, man. But he said, but I tell you, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, or you've gone to websites where you're staring at things that you shouldn't be staring at with lust in the infiltration of pornography, then Jesus says, you're just as guilty as the guy that went out and cheated on his wife anyway, from God's perspective, because it's in the heart. And again, the law is spiritual. It's just not outward conformance. Sin goes much deeper. It goes to the heart. And because of that, the law of God is not just outward, in a sense, conformity to behaviors and righteousness. It's about what's happening in the heart. And Paul says the law is good. It's spiritual. It revealed to Paul. Remember he said in chapter 7 last week, he said, I thought I was doing pretty good. And then I came to that command, thou shalt not covet. See, Paul said, I don't commit adultery. I've never murdered it. Paul's a Pharisee, right? I've never murdered anybody. I don't commit adultery. I've never stolen from anybody. And Paul was a radically strict, living, religious man. He dotted his I's. He crossed the T's. He, you know, did everything. He lived according to strict religious requirements that Pharisees did. But Paul said, then I came to that thing about coveting which nobody else sees that because that's an inward thing. And Paul said, I realized, oh man, that one slew me. And that was what made me realize, oh my gosh, I am a sinner. Because yeah, I may, I may not steal things, but there are times when I've had covetousness in my heart and, and thought, I want what you have and I'm pretty mad that you got that and I don't got it. Or I want more prestige or more recognition or more honor. And, and Paul realized, oh my goodness, I really struggle with that within my heart. And it caused him to realize the depths of those very things. So Paul says, the law, it's spiritual. But he says, the problem, I'm carnal. He says, sold under sin. Paul says, the problem is, is I'm fleshly. This is what he's going to talk about in the remainder of our chapter. I'm a sinful person. I have a carnal nature. Though my spirit is redeemed, Paul is saying, the problem is, is I still have this old fallen nature and my flesh is not and I'm caged within this old unredeemed body that has a sin nature and my new man that is spiritual now is constantly struggling with the limitations of my sinful flesh and, and the resistance of my sinful nature. And that's the main point of Paul's frustration as he continues to go through the chapter, his personal struggle and, and his understanding that self-resolve and self-will doesn't work. It doesn't work at all because the problem is not a desire to do what's right, Paul's going to say. The problem is, I don't find the power within. I don't have the power. There's a lack of power. That's Paul's point as we go through this. Look what he says in verse 15. And if you can't relate to these Bible verses, call me, you need help. And a counseling appointment. Verse 15, Paul says, For what I am doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, in other words, the things that I want to do, that... I often find I don't practice, Paul says. But what I hate, those are the things that I do. Now, here Paul's describing his own personal experience of how he struggled with, you know, we would say something like, sons, you always got a split personality as you're saying these things here, Paul. I think Paul was purposely writing in this way to make it as obvious as possible, even as a godly apostle, so that we could relate to him 
Paul, you're liberating me. That's really how you feel too. That was your experience. You have these two voices within at times. One saying, you know, satisfy yourself, man, just do it. You'll never get caught and just, you deserve it. And, and, and then this other part of you saying, listen, that's not pleasing to God. You should resist that. You need to pray. You need to re, you know, turn away from that and, and how there's this internal conflict going on. Again, remember Galatians 5 verse 17, Paul writes this regarding this internal conflict between the flesh and sin nature and the spirit he says for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature they are in conflict with each other so you do not do what you want again the bible describes how once you become born again you accept jesus christ and the spirit of god enters within you and your spirit is made alive by god's spirit that now there's this internal conflict that wasn't there before you were saved because before you were saved, before I knew Jesus, I just did what my sin nature wanted. I might have felt guilty for an hour for a day, but I just, I, I did according to my lower nature, to my sin nature. But then you get saved and all of a sudden now there's struggle within. There's this conflict that's always going on within where the flesh and the spirit are each trying to get the upper hand and what's going to rule in my life. And, and we find ourselves caught in the middle. And Paul says here in these verses, first of all, he says there's two problems. I keep failing to do what's spiritual. And I find many times I keep fulfilling what's sinful. I keep failing to do what's spiritual and I keep fulfilling the things at times that are sinful that I don't want to do. He says, verse 16 here, verse 15, for what I'm doing, he says, I don't understand. He was almost bewildered at times by his own behavior and things. Who's not been there before? I remember when my you know, kids were little at times, they would just do something like crazy. And you can just say to them afterwards, what were you thinking? Why did you shove berries up your nose? Or like, you know, why did you jump out a window? Like, what were you thinking? And, and you, you know, they do certain things. Or behave, you know, what, what were you thinking? And they say, I don't know. And there's a part of me that I thought, I understand that. Yeah, that, that happens to me sometimes too. I, that's a pretty good answer. You know, I don't know. I don't know why I did it. I just, I don't know why. Well, here's the reason why. Because they struggle with the same thing every other human being struggles with. And at times we do things and we don't understand, why did I do that? Why did I do the very thing that I hate doing? That I didn't want to do? Or, or the thing that I do want to do, I, I have a right desire, but then I don't walk in it. Why do I not fulfill the very thing? So he says, I keep failing so often to do what's spiritual. He says, what I will to do. Again, notice, the issue is not rebellion in Paul's heart. He's going to say here, the desire's there to want to do what's godly. That new nature, he says, I, I want to do what is right. For what I will to do, he says, the problem is the execution of it. I know what pleases God and I want to do what pleases God. I want to answer the right way in that tense conversation, but I find I don't end up practicing that. Or I want to make the right decision and do the, the thing and when the sin temptation comes, but he says, I, I find that, that I don't practice the very thing that I know is the right thing to do and that I even want to do. And, and to make it worse, the other side of that, he says, but then the things that I hate, that I, my new nature says, I, I hate the things that God hates now. I, I hate sin. I realize it's wrong. And he says, but the thing that I hate doing, that I often end up doing anyway. And has there been a time in your life since you've been a Christian where you find that you're doing things and you're thinking, 
I hate that I keep doing this. Please nod your head. One of you are. Please, just so I feel a little more normal this morning. Okay, just making sure. Either I'm boring or you're really not connecting here. How many times has that happened? You know, I, I, I hate when I respond that way. Or I hate when I succumb to that old habit. Or I, and, and listen, there is a genuine suffering that goes on in the life of a Christian. Paul's going to say in Romans chapter 8, in this body I groan. I groan in this body, desiring to be clothed with that new redeemed body because see, we have a redeemed spirit, but we don't have a redeemed body yet. So because of that, there's a genuine suffering that a Christian goes through. You don't have to go to a third world country to suffer. You got to live with yourself. (laughs) Sometimes that's more difficult. Living with the Judas within, that betrayer of the Lord and that constant battle within. And Paul says, oh, he says, the things that I hate, those are the things that I do. Verse 16, he says, if then I do, notice, what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. In other words, Paul says, you know, I agree within, the law's good. When I do what's wrong, he says, it makes me realize the problem's not with the law. The law's good. The problem's with me. The law is spiritual. I'm just carnal. I'm just a sinner by nature. And he says, so I realize that. But verse 17, now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul's going to say again in emphasis, verse 20, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, here's what Paul's doing. He's zeroing in on the real source of the struggle within himself. Now, please understand Paul here is not excusing himself from personal responsibility. That's, that's not what he's, he's getting to here. What he's doing is identifying the true culprit that causes him to struggle within the way he does and to realize as well, and this is key, that it would never be right or righteous for him to blame God for his sin. And we have to be careful there because sometimes we have the capacity in a distorted mindset and the devil's lies to our minds to begin to convince ourselves that somehow God's to blame for the things that we did. Oh, we would never do that. Well, that was the first act in the Garden of Eden. What happens? God says to Adam, Adam, what, what, did, you, what did you do? Did you eat of that forbid? Did you violate the one thing I asked you to do? What's Adam's response? God, it's the woman that you gave me. Who has done that for? God, I wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for my wife. You gave her to me, God. You talked me into marrying this person or you talked me into marrying this man and now look what he's making me. God, why did you let me marry this person? If I wasn't... And and we subtly want to blame shift God. Well, why why would you allow me to have this weakness in my life, this struggle in my life? And in essence, what are we... We're trying to blame God. We want to shift the blame on... Again, we know we do this because James tells us in the word of God himself... Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away, listen, by his own desires as enticed. We have to be very careful. You will never get anywhere trying to blame or me trying to blame shift the reason why I sinned or did something wrong. Somehow subtly it's connected that that it's actually God's fault. 
and that God's somehow to blame and we can excuse ourselves. No, Paul's not trying to excuse himself from personal responsibility. He's just zeroing in on the culprit. He says, it's no longer really me. It's, and he's trying to say, it's not my new nature. He says, it's the, the entrenched sin nature that dwells within me that's still there. He's wisely identifying and tracking down the true source of those sinful actions. It's not the new regenerate man in Christ. It's that old man. It's that old sin nature. And this is important that we grasp this concept this morning that you have a sin nature that is present in your life and it's entrenched. And it's entrenched and it's going to dig in its heels and keep fighting to usurp the throne of your heart until the day that Jesus Christ either raptures you out of that fallen sinful body or you die and you go into the presence of the Lord. That's when you shed the old unredeemed body but until then there is this carnal sinful nature that is there and like a powerful force it will always be trying to overrule the new nature of god's spirit within you trying to help you walk in godliness and will always conflict with that it will always come against that and cause you to have that struggle that powerful force within look what paul says verse 18 he says for i know that in me that is in my flesh my old nature, he says, nothing good dwells. But that's the foundation stone for starting to realize how do you have victory over sin. Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, my, my, my human nature, my natural nature, he says, there's nothing good there. Nothing good dwells there. One man said this. He said, there can be no progress in holiness until we learn what Paul is saying here. In verse 18, I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Listen, this morning, that is a vital truth. And more than that, it's a freeing truth. It's a liberating truth. Now, we don't like to hear that because we want to buy into the world's mentality of, hey, you're going to lower somebody's self-esteem, man. Don't tell them there's nothing good in them. You're going to crush that poor child's self-esteem. You know, I found a statistic one time that said this, that 75% of people who commit suicide alluded to the fact that by nature they were perfectionists. Isn't that interesting? They had a lot of self-esteem. I got everything. I got to do perfect. I got to perform. And that, that nature and that whole self-esteem, it just led to utter frustration and self-destruction in their life. And we don't like to hear that. There's got to be something good about me. We are, hey, you, and, and, and there are people who stand in pulpits. Don't ever talk about sin, but you have a good day because you're good and everything is good and everything, everything's going to be fine. Everything's good. We're fine. We're fine. Everyone, the whole world's fine. You're good. Listen, all that stuff. Listen, the Bible I read points a different picture. It says, no, God's really good. We're really bad. We're really bad. Didn't Jesus, I thought, say there's only one that's good? That's God. Somebody's got to be right. I'll take the word of Jesus, I think. And see, it is a liberating truth to accept what the Bible says about our humanity that in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. There's no redeemable quality about me. There's nothing in my human nature that somehow is good or godly. Well, the Bible is trying to say, if left to yourself, you will ruin your life. That's what we'll do. We'll ruin our life. 
If we try and depend upon ourselves, live things out in ourselves, we'll ruin our lives. We're fallen, sinful people. There's nothing there. And see, when we come to accept that, a couple things happen. When you accept what the Bible says about yourself, it's liberating because, first of all, it will keep you from being so disappointed when you fail. Because you will. That's what Paul's going to say right in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we're going to fail. But the wonderful thing is if you accept, I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, then when you fail, you won't be so derailed with condemnation and self-pity and disappointment. I can't believe I did that. And God's going, are you kidding me? <laughs> I always knew that you were going to do that. When my son was dying and bleeding out his blood on the cross, part of that was because I knew that you would do that. And the Bible says that God remembers our frame, that we're dust. The problem is a lot of times I don't remember that I'm nothing but dust and that I'm weak and that I'm so utterly sinful. And it can eliminate great disappointment when you realize, I guess that's true, there is really nothing good in me. I'm utterly desperate and depraved and by embracing it, it will also secondarily, that truth, if you embrace it, it will keep you and I from putting confidence in our flesh. Paul says later in his writings to the Philippians, to put no confidence in the flesh. And many times that's our mistake. We want to put confidence in our flesh that through self-resolve or efforts, this is what Paul's moving towards in our text, that we can overcome things. We can change. I can change myself. I'm just going to determine. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm, a, I'm just, and, I'm, and we put confidence in our flesh. And if you realize, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, you won't be prone to put confidence in your flesh you'll realize that that's going to be a complete failure. The Bible tells us this in the book of Romans. It says, make no provision for the flesh. Don't make an opportunity, a provision for your flesh. Why? I'll tell you for me, I know why. Because if I make an opportunity for my flesh, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. If I bring a six pack of beer into my house, I'm probably going to drink it. Oh, you're a pastor, would you say that? Yep. Because before I was saved, that was a real struggle for me as a teenage young man as I began to develop that habit by hanging out with friends and, and you know what? The old man would still love to get a load on. Now, my spirit doesn't desire that. I know that's wrong. I don't want to do that. That's why I make no provision for the flesh. I mean, if I bring certain things into my house through TV or over the computer and I start flirting with, listen, I'm a guy. Men, typically a lot more than women, struggle with what's visual. And, you know, I don't want to create an opportunity because if I create an opportunity, I'll pursue it. Because I'm carnal and I know that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And apart from the grace of God, I have just as much potential to be like Osama bin Laden or Hitler or anybody else. I don't lack potential. I don't lack capacity. I have plenty of it in there in the flesh. I know I do. And, and, and because of that, the Bible's saying we must embrace this reality so that we minimize putting confidence in the flesh and pursuing it when we often try and resort to it. Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Such a liberating important Bible truth. Paul says, notice, for to will is present with me. Again, this is back to what, what we're talking about. Paul says, it's, it's not a lack of desire. 
I want to do what's godly. He says, to will is present with me. My new nature wants to please God. I want to pray. I want to read the Bible. I want to walk in holiness. I don't want to do sinful things and do what's wrong. He says, to will is present with me. Look, but how to perform what is good, that's what I can't find. Where? Within himself. Here Paul is coming to this place where he's saying to will, to do what's right, that's there. It's not an absence of desire. I want to do the right thing now. After you get saved, you start to have new desires, right? You have a new focus, you have new interests. And who has not been at that place where I want to read my Bible or I wanted to read my Bible, but then I got distracted and I started doing something else. I, I, I wanted to pray, but then I got sidetracked and I, 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 I did something else instead. I wanted to you know, be patient with my children, but I got a little irritated and was a little unkind in the way I responded. I wanted to be you know, loving with my wife, but I, I got a little selfish instead in that situation. You know, I, and I, I don't want to answer like that, but I did. And I, and I didn't want to behave like that, but I did. And I didn't want to yell at the Comcast person on the phone, but I did. Whew, got that out of my system. Right? And I, you know, I want to please the Lord, but sometimes I don't. I want to serve the Lord, but a lot of times I'm selfish. Instead, I don't. And it's not a lack of desire. We desire to do the right things and we desire not to do the wrong things. Paul says, I, I will to do it. But he says, but to perform what is good. I can't find that within myself. What's he saying? The reason? A lack of power. There's no power within me because all that's within me is a sinful carnal flesh as a natural man. Paul says, my problem is a lack of power. That's why I do the things that I hate at times and why at other times I don't do the good things that I know that I should do. I want to please God, but I can't find how to perform what is good. He's going to answer it at the end of the chapter. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, Paul says again, that's what I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, Again, notice, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So again, you notice almost the purposeful repetition. Paul's writing these things purposely. He's expressing, you could say in essence, as he almost repetitiously states the same thing again, he's expressing his spiritual willingness, his spiritual willingness, yet he's mourning his spiritual weakness. I think that's a fair way to say what Paul's saying there. He's expressing his spiritual willingness, but he's mourning within, like we all do, his spiritual weakness. Remember Jesus said to Peter on one occasion, he said to Peter, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Because what happened? Remember, Jesus says, look, I'm going to suffer, be arrested, going to be crucified, beaten. And he begins to talk about his sufferings. And Peter says, far be it from thou, Lord. That's not happening on my watch. I'm not going to let that happen. And I think Peter was genuinely sincere. And, and Jesus says to him, Peter, before this night's over, within a 24-hour window, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And of course, as Peter goes through the process and he discovers that his 
strong desire to do what's right in self-resolve wasn't enough because he's had a weak, sinful flesh just like you and I, and he fails and he bottoms out spiritually. Jesus says to him, Peter, that, that, that you need to learn to watch and pray because the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, Peter. I understand you have a willingness to do what is righteous, to honor me, to love me, to be faithful to me, Peter. I understand that. I see the spiritual will is present with you. But Peter, there's a weakness that's there because you have this fleshly nature that still is there. And Peter had fallen prey to that because of that lack of power. And that's what Paul, again, aren't you so thankful that godly apostles like Paul and Peter express these things to make us realize, man, this is part of the frustration in the flesh, even for the Christian trying to walk in a way that's pleasing and honoring to the Lord. Look what Paul says, verse 21, I find then a law, and the idea here is a principle, a a force, I find a law that evil is present with me. The one, notice, who wills, again, who desires, is the one I want to do good. I find that there is this force, this law at work where evil is always present there fighting against me within as the one who wants to do what's good. It's back to that whole conflict within, that struggle. He describes how this is the reason why there's failure when we make endeavors of self-resolve to try and solve our problem with sin. Because as I said earlier, there's a traitor that lives within us. There's a Judas Iscariot that lives inside of every one of us that wants to betray the Lord, that fights against us. And Paul says, man, when I try and do what's good and I try and pursue what's right, I find there's right there alongside this force of evil, my sin nature that's present, that tries to work against that, that tries to resist it, that tries to draw me off to do what's wrong instead of doing what's right. And he says, I find it's right there present within me. Look what he says, verse 22. For I delight, that is, I enjoy, I find pleasure, fulfillment. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Paul says, I love the Lord. I love God now, he says. I want to obey the Bible. I love God's word. I I want to please the Lord, he's saying. I delight according to the law of God in my inward man. But, verse 23, I see another law, another force in my members, in my body. Look what he says, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity or imprisonment to the law or force of sin, which is in my members or in my body. So he describes here the ever-present conflict, again, between the spirit and the flesh. Paul says, inwardly, my new nature, it loves the things of God. I love God's word, he says. I want to pray. I, I want to please the Lord. I love those things, and he says, but yet there's this other force at work within, he says, and it's always warring against me. It's always warring against my new inward nature that's in relationship with God now, trying to attack and destroy and bring conflict And he says, you know, I want to use my eyes to look upon the things of God now. But he says, there's this warfare going within where there's this other force within trying to direct my eyes to look at things I shouldn't look at. And I want to use my mouth to 
speak to God and to pray and to tell people about Jesus and to answer with a kind word and to give godly counsel. But he says, I find within there's this evil force, my sin nature, warring against that, trying to use my mouth to answer cruelly to people and to speak critically or to gossip. And my mouth is getting me into trouble saying things it shouldn't be saying. And he says, this is a constant conflict I find warring within. Peter, interestingly enough, Paul uses the term warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into imprisonment. Peter says in his writings, he tells us, abstain from the fleshly lusts that war against your soul. Listen, do you ever feel like within, I feel like my life's a battleground. <laughs> I feel like there's a battle to resist sin. I feel like it's a battle to do what's righteous and godly. And there's this conflict within, whether it's how I respond to somebody in a conversation, whether I, whether I do pursue some sinful temptation. Or, and, and we feel like there's this battleground always within. The Bible says, yeah, that's right. Because the fleshly lust, they war against the soul take notice what paul says as well there in verse 23 he says it's warring against the law of my mind take note of that because is it not true that one of the clearest battlegrounds for the christian is in the mind it's in the mind and the devil knows that because see your soul and your spirit is redeemed and the spirit of god is within you but like peter at times the the the, the devil launches fiery darts into our minds I can prove that. Remember that on one occasion, uh, as Jesus and Peter were, were dialoguing, uh, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Peter said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the, of the living God. Right on, Peter. Flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter, that was a spiritual revelation. You just revealed that I'm the son of God. You just heard from God a revelation and spoke. Then, as Jesus talks about his sufferings, again, remember, as we just said, what does Peter do? He gets adamantly resistant to that. Far be it from our Lord. That is not going to happen to you. I will not let anyone harm you. You are too important. You're, nobody's going to touch you. I'm going to protect you. And Jesus says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. In other words, Peter, you did good with the spiritual revelation. You should have shut up there. Because Peter, the next thought that came into your mind, that was a fiery dart of the devil, which came into your mind and what came out of your mouth there. That was not a thought from God. That was a thought from the devil. That proves to me that the devil is going to bombard our minds. That's why we've got to put on the helmet of salvation. That's why we need to be in the word of God, renewing our mind so that when garbage gets pumped in through media and through thoughts and just our distorted perspective and the devil is bombarding our minds as you're in the word of God, you're washing over and renewing your mind and you're able then to sift out what is not from God and to realize at times there's this warring that goes on in our mind to realize what is God's perspective, what does God's word say, but it's a battleground, man. It's a continuous battleground within, and Paul understood it. That brought him to the place where he comes in verse 24. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? There's a groan of frustration, a, a question here he asks. The groan of frustration, he says, O wretched man, that I am. The idea there is just utter disgust with self. It's a cry of despair. That word wretched man, when you look at it in the Greek, Paul uses a term that describes a man who is exhausted, interesting, after a laborious time of hard labor. 
And, and here's Paul. He says, you know, I tried so hard to stop doing certain things. I tried so hard to resist from that habit that I knew was not pleasing. To, and he says, I worked at it. I worked at it so hard. And he says, and, and it exhausted me to no end. Paul says, wretched man that I am. Paul says, look, I, I'm, I'm disgusted with myself. At times I hate who I am. You know, it's not a matter of, you know, other people are sick of me. Paul saying, I'm sick of myself. I'm sick of myself. Oh, wretched man that I am. Have there ever been times where you felt like that? Please nod your head yes on that one. What's the matter with me? Why am I doing this? Why am I? And, and he says, wretched man that I am, exhausted. It's a cry of despair. See, that cry of despair is the place it's critical to come to because then it leads you to the place of victory. Paul says, wretched man, I am notice, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul wants deliverance. He wants to be set free. Notice, however, though, he doesn't say, how do I get over this? How do I stop? Remember what he said back in verse 18? How to perform what's good. I can't find how to do it. Now, this is important. Again, Paul doesn't say, how do I change? How do I stop sinning? How do I overcome temptation? Because what Paul understood is this. It's not through a procedure. He realized self-resolve and self-will hasn't worked. It's not a program. It's not a process. It's not even getting principles of right information. Paul realized, he says, none of that worked. See, when Paul found the struggle with sin, what did he do? He began to focus on self and he started using self-resolve and self-determination and self-effort. I got to change, man. I got to stop doing this. I need to do what's right and do what's godly. So he started working at it in his own effort and he came to the spot of being disgusted and in utter despair because he could not find the power within himself to change. And see, the flesh loves things like procedures. Hey, I need to change. How do I change? Can you give me a procedure? Can you give me a five-step program? Look at Christian bookstores, ladies and gentlemen. They are filled with self-help books. And we keep writing new ones. There is a self-help book. And there is a helper. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit, the helper who lives within us. This is the place Paul comes to where he realizes, notice, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? Paul realized, I need a person. It's not within me. No program, no procedure. That's why verse 25, and this leads us to where we're going next week, Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul found the answer. Again, his failure of self-resolve and self-effort brought him to the place where he found out what didn't work so he ultimately discovered what did work. He realized the answer is Jesus. Only Jesus can deliver me from this body of death. Only Jesus can give me victory. Paul realized, I need a person. It comes through relationship and power. Jesus is not just the one who pardoned us from sin. He's our daily, day-by-day -day deliverer from the power of sin ruling over our lives. Interesting, when Paul used that term, who will deliver me from this body of death, it's a term that described how in that day, one of the punishments, if you were a, a murderer, is they would strap, at times, the dead corpse to your body and force you to carry around that dead corpse. 
And you can imagine the bacteria, the stench, just the mental anguish as a person would walk around with this dead corpse attached to their body, the guilty person crying out, please, somebody, deliver me. Cut the chains. Get this thing off me. Get this dead body off of me. And, and, and Paul uses that vivid illustration because he says, that's what I feel like. I'm a redeemed man with a new spirit. And I feel like I'm dragging around this dead carcass, this fallen sinful body. And, and he says, somebody set me free from it. Somebody deliver me from this thing. And Paul says, I realize no procedure, no program, no self-help was able to do it. But he says, I thank God. Jesus, Jesus can deliver me from this. And as he goes into chapter 8, he'll begin to talk about how that power for victory comes through a person, through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrected spirit giving us the enablement within our lives. Father, we thank you for that blessed assurance that though in the flesh, Lord, it is so futile trying to overcome our sin nature, we thank you, Lord, that even that frustration in place we come to many times is a critical thing to bring us to the place where we realize we need you, Jesus, to liberate us and to set us free. Lord, we ask that you would help us to believe what your word says and be responsive to it in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.